Welcome to BDO Talks Arissa, a monthly podcast recorded live at BDO. Each month, we'll be talking best practices around all things Arissa, how to avoid common compliance issues, how to navigate the tricky ins and outs of Arissa's fiduciary provisions, and discussing our own experiences working for BDO's Arissa Services Group and the insights we share through the Arissa Center of Excellence. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started. Welcome to BDO Talks Arissa. I'm Joanne Zupka. Thank you for joining me today as I discuss the upcoming changes to the 2023 Form 5500 with our guest contributor, Nicole Parnell. Nicole is a managing director in Global Employer Services, leading the retirement service team, and is responsible for BDO's Form 5500 services. Nicole, welcome to BDO Talks Arissa. Thank you, Joanne, and good afternoon, everyone. So, Nicole, this is your first time being on a podcast, right? It is. I'm really excited to be joining you today, and and this is my first time um, doing a podcast and, and excited to be here. Recently, I, I had a road trip, um, and I thought, well, that was the perfect opportunity for me to listen to some podcasts and, and you know get some insight into how these things go, and here we are. Oh, very nice. Well, hopefully your road trip was very well, and that's a great way for people to get to listen to podcasts on the road trip. So hopefully someone will be taking a road trip listening to our conversation. Yes, okay. this is exciting stuff to talk about, right? You know, some people may go, oh my God, I can't believe we're going to be talking about 2023 changes, right? Because the Form 5500 won't be filed until 2024. But there's important information that really needs to be looked at now. So before we dive into it, let me just give a little bit of the background um, so I can people can understand where how we arrived here. So on September 15th of 2021, the agencies, DOL, IRS, and PBGC published a notice of proposed form revisions to amend the Form 5500 Annual Return Report, primarily to implement annual reporting changes related to legislative provisions in the original Secured Act of 2019. Those provisions focused on multi-employer pension plans and defined contribution group reporting arrangements, along with other proposed changes intended to improve the reporting of the 5500. So the agencies received over 100 comments on the proposed form revisions. After reviewing all of the revisions, the agencies decided what they were going to kind of adopt and push out. And the revisions to the form were issued in a three-phase approach, starting in December of 2021, followed by May of 2022, and then lastly, February of 2023. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is those changes in February of 2023. Nicole and I will. What I will say is there were seven major categories uh, of revisions to the Form 5500 that were pushed out in this February 23, Phase 3 revision. Um, We're not going to be able to talk about all of them. They included adding a DCG consolidated reporting option, a Schedule MP to collect MEP information, multi-employer plans, adding certain new code compliance questions. This is the big one, changing the methodology for counting participants in a defined contribution plans for the purpose of determining eligibility for small plan reporting options additional benefit plan reporting improvements, new breakout categories to administrative expense categories on the income and expense section of Schedule H, and then miscellaneous and conforming changes to the forms and instructions. So that was a lot. 
So again, Nicole and I, we're going to be spending some time to talk about changing the methodology for counting participants in defined contribution plans for purposes of determining eligibility for small plan reporting options. Okay. So Nicole, I think what we have to let people know is, well, how how were we how were you counting this previously, right? And what's the change? So Currently, defined contribution pension plans determine whether they may file as small plans and whether they qualify for an audit waiver based on the number of participants with plan accounts as of the beginning of the year and the number of participants who are eligible to elect to have contributions made under a 401k qualified cash or deferral arrangement, even if they have not elected to participate and do not have an account balance with one of those plans. So that's always been the key, right? It, it It's the combination of the two. And I think what snags a lot of companies or plans into the audit requirement is that section where it's the number of people who are eligible to participate in the plan, but maybe have elected not to. So here is what the agencies have decided. Instead of using all of those eligible to participate, filers will now look at the number of participants, beneficiaries, with account balances as of the beginning of the year. Um, and so that's important, right? It's only the participants with account balances. And really one of the main reasons for this change was section 112 of the original SECURE Act as they were gearing up for the new changes that relate to long-term part-time employees and when they'll be able to enter the plan under the original SECURE Act of 2019, that goes into effect um, January 1st of 2024. So I always like to tell people kind of what the agencies found out. By making this simple change to the count, the agency's analysis estimates that there would be a reduction of over 19,000 large plan filers that would no longer need an audit. And what they were hoping is that reduction in the expense of not having the audit would encourage more employers to offer workplace-based retirement savings plans to their employees and might free up resources for more generous employer contributions. So we shall see what happens in the near future. Now, when you get to your Form 5500, part two, where you list out your participant accounts, there will be a renumbering so that there is something that's very clear that says the number of participants with account balances as of the beginning of the plan year and as of the end of the plan year. All right, so that's the background, Nicole. Let's kind of dive in because, you know, you deal with a lot of Form 5500s with plans filing those. And so as someone who's kind of in the details, I guess what I would want to know is what do current plan sponsors or those charged with governance need to consider when it comes to this filing change? Sure. You know, obviously, I think the first thing is, are they looking at the count every year and paying attention to whether or not they are getting to the threshold either exceeding 120 participants um, and putting them into audit status, or perhaps they are actually um, getting to that where they're going back under 100 and can come back out of, you know, the large plan filing. So definitely looking at the numbers are, are very important, but then hopefully plans that are in that range are also working with a service provider or third-party administrator that's looking at it as well each year and having conversations um, to help, you know, guide that plan sponsor as to what's coming. So I always say with anything with regards to a qualified plan is what does the plan document say? First of all, what kind of provisions are there that may affect what this count looks like? 
Um, so, you know, one of the most important pieces is keeping the balances for terminated participants cleaned up and plan document provisions should be written in, you know, indicating what's allowable to uh, process mandatory distributions and, and get those balances out of the plan on a regular basis. One thing that's come up with SECURE, SECURE 2.0, that is, is that with distributions occurring after December 29th of 2023, the limit for those cash outs or threshold will increase from 5,000 to 7,000. So I think that will help definitely um, with some of that cleanup and just monitoring those balances. And then the other thing I would suggest too with regards to this is plan sponsors being proactive and making sure that as they do an exit interview, you know, employees terminate, make sure they understand how to go out, look at their balances and request distributions um, when they're ready to perhaps roll their balance to a new employer's plan. All great advice. Yeah, I think them really paying attention to the account. I think a lot of times we work kind of with the magic crystal ball or hindsight looking back. Um, it's really start looking at this now in 2023. So if you do have to kind of what you were talking about, the small cash out balances, you've got time to maybe get in contact with those former employees that, you know, you no longer have contact with on a daily basis. We all know people move and change cell phone numbers and things of that nature. Absolutely. And I think being proactive, like you said, will help reduce the number of those lost, you know, participants that are harder to track down. Okay, so we've got kind of monitoring the count, and you talked about plan provisions. What we see from an audit side is the timing of the contributions. We see two things, right? Timing of contributions. We see a lot of times plans, their plan provision will allow for a true up or a discretionary contribution that's made maybe in the first quarter after the plan year end, and then also uh, the forfeiture balance, right? Some of those are very large and that amount can be reallocated. So how do these items play into monitoring the accounts? Definitely. And I, I would say, you know, with the timing being, you know, the biggest factor too, typically we see, like you said, um, plan sponsors funding discretionary contributions, you know, your profit sharing type allocations after the end of the plan year, but a lot of times they have until the due date of their company tax return if they're going to take advantage of the deduction for that contribution. So that could push funding out to, say, September. September, you still have enough time to look at any residual balances for terminated individuals who were due contributions and help to get them cleaned up. But there are some plan sponsors that have provisions that might allow them to do allocations in December, right at the end of the plan year. And that could be, again, a discretionary contribution, maybe a true up due um, for someone who has received match all year and now just needs to be brought up to an annual calc. Um, or there are forfeitures that need to be reallocated by the end of that plan year, again, based on what the plan document requires. And that happening could have a, you know, an effect on those balances they're sitting out there. If these are individuals who have not deferred throughout the year, so they don't have a 401k contribution sitting there and don't have a balance, now they have a balance. And so that could be a significant group of individuals adding to that balance that's going to occur on the first day of the following plan year that determines that large plan status. 
The other thing to keep in mind, too, is compliance testing and corrections that may be required for a failed ADP test. So, you know, typically if there's a failed ADP test, you can correct with refunds of any excess. But sometimes allowing uh, an allocation of a QNEC, qualified non-elective contribution, might be a better option for the correction or it might be required because you're at a timing now where that might be the only option. Um, so again, that could allocate a contribution to individuals who don't have a balance and now will as of the end of, of a year and, and greatly affect that count at the beginning. Mm. Yeah, there was one other thing I did want to mention too, because Secure 2.0 is such an important you know thing to consider in looking ahead. And that is the requirement for automatic enrollment for plans in the coming up in a few years. And that will also be a big factor for, you know, what's the growth of the plan going to look like and balances um, so that someone maybe who's new to having a plan can look ahead, especially for the cost of the audit and, and plan for that budget item. Yeah, we think that's an excellent point, Nicole. You think you're only looking at one, I'll call it, new item. Oh, there's just changes to the 5,500. Oh, but no, wait, you've got to consider secure, original secure, secure 2.0, all of the different provisions, right? We also know coming down the pipeline, um, there's proposed regulations right now relating to the timing of the forfeitures. So really everything is kind of interrelated and you do have to almost look at it through multiple different lenses. Absolutely. And I think what's so important is that you're partnering with service providers who will look at your plan design and what's happening with your business and how that's going to affect all of these things. Yeah, I know from an audit perspective, um, I've definitely have said this about secured, but also the other changes that we just talked about is these really have to be on the agenda for your committee, right? If you're deciding to look at this on December 15th, it's too late, right? I mean, this is stuff that start having the conversations, right? See when reports can be run, see what your options are. So before these changes went into effect, right, there was always something that was called the 8120 participant rule for the Form 5500. Um, can you give a little overview of what that rule was and if that rule is changing with these new uh, participant account methodology change? Um, sure. For the 80 to 120 participant rule, the rule itself is not changing with this, but just, you know, obviously how we're going to count the threshold for, for following into that range will change. Um, but what that rule actually means is, you know, when you have a number of participants between 80 and 120 and your form 5500 that was filed in the prior plan year, perhaps that was a short form. Um, and you go into 2023 and you have 90 participants. So you have the ability to file in the same manner. So if you are a small plan filer in say 22, you can continue to be a small plan filer in 2023 because you're still within that range. Um, and, and you can be consistent. And that that's with a short form 5500, or if you file a form 5500, that also includes a Schedule I. So, you know, those rules still in place, just a different way to, to look at the count. So we talked about the 8120 okay. rule. I think 
One of the other things that you mentioned um, that's coming down because of Secure 2.0 is the automatic enrollment, especially for new plans. We know that a lot of new plans don't always start at the beginning of the plan year end, right? Let's assume calendar year. They don't always start January. Maybe they're going to start July 1st. Maybe they're going to start April 1st, maybe September 1st, whatever the case may be. There is also a short plan year rule. Is that changing with this new methodology change? So that rule will remain. And what that means is, you know, if the plan had a short plan year of seven months or less for either the prior year or the current year being reported on the on the 2023 um, Form 5500, then an election can be made to actually defer the filing um, of the audit and utilizing that large plan um, filing. So what happens is, in, you know, if a plan sponsor made that election in the prior year um, and that was the short year, then the 2023 Form 5500 would then be completed, you know, utilizing those requirements for a large plan, including the Schedule H and the accountant um, reports, um, regardless of the number of participants. So, you know, we see that happen a lot of times where a brand new plan is implemented, say, in September but obviously there's a lot of participants. They go into the next plan year. They've hit that threshold or exceeded that 120 threshold, um, but then they can wait um, and do the audit with that second year, which I think can be very, you know, efficient for the plan sponsors. And and I, I'm sure you'll, you'll confirm whether that's easier on the auditors. <laughs> it depends. It, it really, it really depends. It can be, right? When you think about it, you're doing two years worth of audits at one time um, and you can really capitalize on, there's a lot of efficiencies if you can do it that way. All right. So I think we might've talked about everything related to the change in methodology, right? That's going to be going, happening with the 2023 Form 5500. Did we miss anything that that we need to point out with regards to uh, the change? I don't think so. I think we covered everything. All right. So then I want to dive into, because you did mention kind of compliance testing, and I hear compliance testing, and that makes me think of, now they've added some new questions to the Schedule R, which I think a lot of people just kind of blow by and go, oh, it's just a formality, check some boxes. But it really seems like the IRS added some of these questions to gather some additional information. So um, I know with your overseeing your teams that kind of prepare the 5500s, you'll be able to provide a little bit more insight. So they added a question regarding non-discrimination and coverage test questions to both, to the forms. So any reason why, and can you tell us when the, that testing needs to be done by? I'm sure. Um, so I think this question, you know, this question is really important. So this will allow the IRS to identify any plans that that have increased risk of, of noncompliance. And as you can imagine, you know, plans where there's a controlled group scenario or affiliated service group scenario and multiple employers and related employers, there's a lot of complexity Um centered around the administration and the compliance testing and if you're required to aggregate those employers. So I think the IRS, you know, asking this question is is them looking, you know, are these plans compliant? Um, maybe they're doing pre-audit analysis, and this is a, a great way for the IRS to focus on their inquiries related to these types of plan sponsors. 
Um, and just kind of also just keeping track of how many plans are out there that have this. Depending on the type of testing would would really dictate when it must be done, but it does have to be done every single plan year and you know looked at with regards to contributions and benefits. Um, so definitely an important factor there. And when we talk about contributions, a lot of times we hear um, plans are a safe harbor plan. And so they've added a question about that. If the plan sponsor uses the design-based safe harbor rules um, or the prior year or current year for ADP testing. So I don't know enough about this. If you wouldn't mind expanding on it, that would be fantastic. Sure. Um, you know, with regards to those, again, I think it's a it's a great way for the IRS to really, you know, determine how many plans are out there that are utilizing these different plan designs um, and are they following the rules, if, if you will, <laughs> you know, depending on what they select. Um, I, and I can say, too, you know, just because in in our team and focused on also third party administration and looking at maybe some of the smaller plans, safe harbor is is really used quite often. It's very beneficial not to get too in the weeds, but a safe harbor plan can really help, you know, highly compensated individuals be able to contribute, but then allowing for a very nice benefit for the employees and the non non highly compensated employees. So I think this is an interesting question, too, just statistics-wise, because if they're gathering data on, you know, how many people are, or how many plans, excuse me, are, you know, utilizing and what size plans are utilizing it, I think it'll be really interesting to see the results of that. You know, and ADP testing has a lot of nuances. That's that compliance testing you were mentioning, and there are quick turnaround to have corrections done by March 15th each year if you're a calendar year plan and, you know, trying to avoid having corrective refunds. And so there's a lot of design discussion that goes around choosing what works best for a plan sponsor. So I think this is an interesting question that will really identify kind of what what are plan sponsors using. And then sticking with the plan design um, in the plan document. I know last year we went through this um, during the 2021 audits. The next question that they added is whether um, the employer is an adopter of a pre-approved plan that received a favorable IRS opinion letter and what the date of that opinion letter was. So um, that is interesting as well. Again, I think this is kind of information gathering for the IRS to see, to your point earlier, how many plans are using what type of plan designs. Definitely. And, and you know, what type of document are they using? Are they using that pre-approved type document? And did they meet that restatement requirement last year? So, you know, like you mentioned, the post cycle three restatement had to be completed for DC plans by July 31st of last year. So um, I think if a plan sponsor is not able to answer that question <laughs> properly, then that obviously will be an area of risk of you know, compliance um, for that plan sponsor. And now it will be identified uh, very quickly on that 5,500 filing. Well, yeah. Thank you, Nicole, so much for joining me to talk about these changes. I just do want to point out, these are changes to the 2023 Form 5500, which for a calendar year-end plan, um, that form will be completed in 2024. So um, should you have any questions on the changes, please make sure that you're reaching out to your service providers. As always, go back and check uh, BDO's 
Arissa Center of Excellence. We kind of keep you updated on what's going on. And Nicole, I greatly appreciate you joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. All right, everyone. Until next month, thank you so much. Should you need anything in the meantime, again, check out uh, BDO's Arissa Center of Excellence. Thank you for listening to BDO Talks Arissa. Past episodes and information about how to join us for our next live recordings are available at bdo.com slash BDO Talks Arissa. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on BDO's Arissa Center of Excellence and the services we provide, visit bdo.com slash Arissa.